We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. But let me just introduce myself. I'm Stuart, one of the elders here at Hope Church, and um, my wife Jean uh, serves here as well. She's out with youth today, and Reuben and Cameron are sons, and so that's little bit about me. We're at the end of the prayer and fasting week, um, which has been great, hasn't it? For those of you who've joined in, it's been a real time of encouragement. And um, it's timely as we look at the passage today, because this passage today is talking about the Passover, the Passover festival. That was seven days long. We're just coming to the end of a seven day time of prayer and fasting. So we're going to be looking today at Exodus 11 and 12 be great if you can have a Bible in front of you. If you haven't got one with you, then just put your hand up. Um, Alex and Camille have got Bibles they can bring round to you. You're welcome to take it home if you don't have one. We'd love you to have the Word of God to keep. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I took uh, my sons Reuben and Cameron orienteering um, over near Aldershot at the Wellington statue, if you're familiar with that. And I'd looked at the forecast before we went, and there was this kind of narrow band of rain moving towards us eastwards across the country but um, I thought well let's go for it we'll probably get away with it if the rain comes hey there's plenty of woods we'll probably find some shelter so I'll just leave that with you I'll come back to that at the end do you, do you think we got away with it um, I'll tell you later but using those that picture of the sort of predicted oncoming clouds as as a as a sort of metaphor for God's judgment Many people adopt a similar attitude to me, don't they? Oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm not sure I really believe in God anyway. That's just an Old Testament thing, wasn't it? You know, God of the New Testament is a God of love. I've been a good person. Surely God can see that. Oh, I'm too busy living this life to worry about what's coming next. So the, the, the passage today is going to challenge us. How ready are we for the coming judgment of God? Today's story tells us of one man's arrogance, which left him unprepared for God's judgment. But wonderfully, it also tells us of God's people, in contrast, who listened to God and prepared themselves for that day. Before we look at today's passage, I want to point out, it's a familiar passage to many, but it does address the heavy subject of the death of children. And I'm aware that this might be a difficult matter for some people I'm going to try to handle it sensitively Um, I certainly don't intend to upset anyone who's lost a child themselves please come and talk to me or Jean or one of the life group leaders afterwards if it raises difficult memories for you if you'd like someone to talk or pray with so I'll be talking through the passage block by block commenting as we go along so um, we'll start in a sec with chapter 11 verse one. Uh, but let me pray. Father, as we look at your word, speak to us, reveal to us what you would have us um, hear from you today. Help us to be uh, more in awe of you. Help us to respond to you with gratitude and obedience as we think of the wonderful protection and salvation that you bring. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. 
That, that, was, the, that was the rain coming. Um, first one. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women are alike are to ask their neighbours for articles of silver and gold. Now the Lord made the Egyptians favourably disposed towards the people and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Chris last week went through the first nine plagues from chapters seven to ten and he was encouraging us not to be like Pharaoh and be hard-hearted towards God. And those first nine plagues have been leading to this great climax in this passage of the final and most terrible plague. God says, this is the last plague. After this, God says, Pharaoh will let the Israelite people go. But will Pharaoh really change his mind after ignoring the the previous nine plagues? What has God got in store this time? But before we get to that, we can see in verses two and three that God is wonderfully preparing the Israelites for once they get set free for their long time in the wilderness. In verse two, the Egyptians will give their valuables to supply the people's needs when they go. And actually, if you look back at chapter three, verses 21 and 22, this was predicted to Moses um, way back then before any of the plagues began. So for the Hebrew people, they'd been in Egypt for so long under oppression for many years, it might have seemed like God was taking a long time to rescue them. But actually, he was working all this time. He'd been working in the hearts of the Egyptians to create respect for God's people so that they would be provided for materially when they needed it once they'd been released. Verse four, let's carry on. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go through Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn of the son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who's at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. They will be allowed wailing throughout Egypt worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. So so Pharaoh's given a very clear warning. This doesn't have to happen. God has followed through on the last nine plagues. He's been really patient with Pharaoh, giving him so many chances. And he now warns, he's crystal clear, if you don't let my people go, your firstborn son will die. You can't get any clearer than that. And this final plague was a punishment that fitted Pharaoh's crimes. Remember back in chapter one at the start of the book, Pharaoh decreed that every Hebrew boy be killed This man is slaughtering the people of God. In addition, Pharaoh was destroying God's firstborn son. And to understand what I mean by that, let's have a look back at chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. God says, 
to Moses, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go so I will kill your firstborn son. The Israelite people were, as the title of our series tells us, God's treasured possession, his firstborn son. Pharaoh's been oppressing and destroying God's firstborn son, his people. So God isn't, isn't just upset that Pharaoh's been acting unjustly towards other people. This is God's protective love as a father, which has been provoked. His precious firstborn, the chosen people, have been enslaved, mistreated and killed. This can't go on. God needed to stop this happening. He warned Pharaoh that he must let his people go or all the firstborn in his land would be killed. And in verse 8, there's going to be a great reversal. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me. In, in Egypt, Pharaoh would have been like a god king. That's how he would have been seen in that culture. And now the Egyptians are going to come and bow before Moses because they can see the great power of his God. And then verse 8 also, it says, Moses was hot with anger and he storms out. And it's in, I watched this film recently called Exodus, Gods and Kings. It's uh, by Ridley Scott. Interesting contrast to how this is portrayed in that film where Moses has a rant at God and says he wants nothing to do with this plague. But there's nothing of that in the biblical account. This verse clearly shows that Moses' anger is God's anger towards Pharaoh. Often our culture here in the West wants to judge and despise the God of the Bible, doesn't it? But if we adopt that posture, we become more like Pharaoh than Moses, more like Egypt than Israel. We become hardened towards God and determined to judge him rather than letting him judge us. Verse 9, the Lord has said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. Now in Pharaoh's refusal to listen, God gets to show his great power and superiority over all the gods of Egypt. These plagues that we've been through they weren't just sort of random acts of power God was actually picking off the gods of Egypt the so-called gods of Egypt one by one as a as a few examples there was the there was an Egyptian god of the Nile called Happy and in the first plague if you remember the the whole of that great river got turned to blood and there was a Egyptian goddess called Heket who was the frog goddess and in the second plague, the second plague, God shows that actually the frogs obey him and not her. And so it goes on until this final plague, which confronts and overpowers three of their gods, the death god, Abubis, the resurrection god, Assyris, and of course, the god king, Pharaoh himself, all defeated by the god of the Bible. So in verse 9, God's wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. 
Just to note that although it says here that God played a part in hardening Pharaoh's heart, we know back in chapter 8, 15 as an example that Pharaoh also hardened his own heart. He's not just a helpless pawn in all this. Pharaoh is responsible for the terrible oppression of God's people. So that's the first point today. We should recognise God's judgement. As Chris encouraged us last week, let's not harden our hearts towards God like Pharaoh did. Let's recognise the coming judgement of God. Unlike Pharaoh, let's look at God's track record. If he says he's going to do something, he will do it. God promises a final judgment through the Bible. We can see the words of Jesus. He's coming back to judge us all. So we need to know Jesus on that day. But let's not be embarrassed by God's judgment. He's perfectly just and good. We can know that his judgment will be good. Rather, let's prepare ourselves for it and warn others of it. We talked about Alpha if we need motivating in loving people towards Jesus, then actually meditating on the coming judgment of God is a good way to push through those fears. Surely it's better to risk a few awkward conversations, possibly with a friend, to warn them of their greatest danger, which they may not even be aware of. This afternoon, I myself am spending time with non-Christian family. It's a challenge, this passage to me to take every opportunity to warn of the coming judgment of God. Now all this might sound frightening. Well, God's judgment is awesome, it is terrible. But the good news of the Bible is that there's a way that God's judgment can pass over us, leaving us untouched. And that's what we come to in chapter 12. Let's have a look at that. And as we move into this chapter, we see that Moses, who's widely thought to be the author of this book of Exodus, he actually keeps us now in suspense for 28 verses. We're we're wondering, well, what did Pharaoh do? What what happened? But he keeps us in, in suspense before he reveals that. And that's actually just dealt with briefly in two verses at the end of today. When a Bible author gives 28 verses to how we're to commemorate an event and just two to the actual narrative, that's a sign he wants us to focus on how we continue to remember it, not just telling a good story. So the, Moses, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, Each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the, the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. So verse 2 here reinforces the importance of this day for the Hebrew people. This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. The entire calendar is going to be reset around what's going to happen. They'll start every year from now on with the Passover festival. Each household is to take a lamb or share a lamb every year from now on, on the 10th day of the month. 
But this isn't just a, an excuse to kind of get rid of your second-rate sheep or goat. If it has a physical defect, it's not suitable. And the idea of a lamb without physical defect is a picture of a sacrifice who's perfect in every way, being acceptable to God. And we'll come back to that idea later. Verse six, take care of them until the 14th day of the month. Take care of the lamb for another four days. When all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight, then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water but roast it over a fire with the head, legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some of it is left till morning you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. So this is a community activity. You'll all do it at the same time, on the same day, together. You are to remember the Passover because your God did this for you collectively. And then there's very specific instructions on how to use the lamb's body. Firstly, and most importantly, you to spread some of the blood around the entrance to your houses this was very public. I don't think my neighbours would be very impressed if I went splashing blood around my front door at home. They'd certainly know about it, wouldn't they? There would be lots of buzz on the neighbourhood WhatsApp group, I'm sure. And after you've spread the blood around your thresholds, you are to cook and eat the lambs and then dispose of the leftovers in very specific ways. God doesn't explain all the details here. But in a minute, we'll see that he does explain the most important bit, why they cover the doorways with blood. And then this is how you're to eat it, with your coat tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Now, if you have young children or you've ever been responsible for getting youngsters to church on time on a Sunday morning, you'll know that leaving the house suitably dressed on time can be a challenge. So here's the answer. Get your shoes, coat and hat on before you start breakfast. <laughs> but, but seriously, this is not a relaxed meal. It's not to be like a chill out meal. This is a meal like on the eve of battle. But a battle that the Lord is going to fight. Eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So it might have been a long time coming. But when God says it's time to go, we need to be ready to move without delay. Verse 12, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This plague is going to be different from the fifth plague where only the Egyptian households face the destruction of their livestock. In this plague, there would be a death in every household in Egypt. In this plague, there would be a death in every household in Egypt. If a lamb has not already been killed in your household, 
then death would come in and take the life of the firstborn human and the firstborn animal. Only the sign of the blood of the lamb on the doorway would prevent this. So the second point today is receive God's rescue. And as Jesus, we know that Jesus is our Passover lamb. In the New Testament, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. And we hear in the book of John, chapter 1, that when he saw Jesus coming, he said words of wonderful prophecy, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Shortly before he was killed on the cross, Jesus traveled up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. And we'll be going through some of the parallels as we take communion later. So every year for about 1400 years, the Jewish people needed to repeat the instructions to commemorate when the death had passed over their households. In addition, there were sacrifices in the temple daily to pay for the sins of the people. But Jesus, in his death on the cross, he's put an end to all these sacrifices. It is finished, he declared from the cross, as he sacrificed himself to pay for the sins of all who would trust in him. So can we see that Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb? And for the squeamished amongst us, we can rejoice that we don't have to slaughter and roast a lamb whole and burn the leftovers. It's finished. But remember that only the households who painted their doorways with the lamb's blood were spared. Judgment fell upon everyone else. Just like the Hebrews who had to actively mark with the protection of the blood, we need to ask ourselves whether we trust in the protection that is found in Jesus. Judgment is coming for everyone. Only those who are trusting in the blood of Jesus will be spared God's judgment. God is a holy God and we all fall short of his holiness. Now do you remember from verse 5 of our Exodus passage, chapter 12, that the Passover lamb needed to be without defect? Well, none of us is perfect, are we? None of us would have been a perfect, suitable sacrifice to shield from God's judgment and, but Jesus was the person, the one person who was, he'd lived a perfect life. His sacrifice was good enough. So if you're here today and you've never trusted your life to Jesus, you might be thinking, what does it mean to trust in Jesus' blood? And the good news is that it's really simple. Although we've been exploring this rich symbolism today, let me just explain three steps for trusting in Jesus. And I'd love to pray them through with you after the service if you'd like firstly recognize that God's judgment is coming none of us is good enough before our holy God secondly receive God's rescue which comes by trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and thirdly resolve to follow where Jesus leads you and following God's lead comes up in the final part of our passage today let's turn to verse 14 this is a day you're to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever gets 
eats anything with yeast in it from the first day until the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. So verse 15 shows it was a seven-day festival, gathering everyone together on the first and the last days. And, on the, and verse 16 shows there's no, no work to be done on, all week. They'd been overworked in Egypt. Um, there's a whole chapter on this, particularly in, in chapter 5 of Exodus. Um, so perhaps this festival in part was to remember the, the rest that God gave the people from Pharaoh. And the festival was then commemorated year after year from that point forward. The event was fundamental to their identity as God's people. Verse 17, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses and anyone, whether foreigner or native born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Do you get the message? No yeast. But you might be a bit confused here, you know. I thought we were talking about the Passover festival and now it's moved on to the festival of unleavened bread. What's that all about? Well, the good news is they're the same thing. The festival of unleavened bread and the Passover festival, they're the same. Leaven, as you may well know, is uh, it's any substance that makes bread rise like yeast. So unleavened bread is flat, it's not risen. So it's, it's things like chapati or some naan breads or tortillas, that sort of bread is often unleavened. And it's clearly a big deal here, isn't it, in God's eyes. During this festival week, anyone who eats anything with yeast in it is to be excommunicated. And again, in chapter 13, Moses comes back to this and goes even further. Nothing with yeast is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. And you might be thinking, well, what's this all about? What? I thought we were talking about lambs and blood, and now we're on to flatbreads. Well, the best interpreter of the Old Testament is the New Testament, because it's also the word of God. And thankfully, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he clarifies this. And the context here in 1 Corinthians 5 is the church has been tolerating a man who's been sleeping with his mother-in-law, and people in the church have done nothing about it. You might spot that we've already looked at verse 7. Paul writes, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the Passover festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So can you see that yeast or leaven is, is like a symbol of impurity in the people of God? People saying, so Paul was saying here, you need, you need, you need to challenge this man's behavior. Otherwise, his example, his yeast is going to spread through the whole community. And in the New Testament, Jesus also uses this metaphor of yeast when he challenges the Pharisees and their false teaching. In Matthew 16, 6, he says, be on your guard 
against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Like yeast spreads through the whole dough, ungodly teaching will also spread. You've got to get rid of it. That's what God's saying. So when God brought his people out of Egypt, he also needed to bring Egypt out of his people. When God brought his people out of Egypt, he also needed to bring Egypt, their culture and values, out of his people. They spent about 400 years in Egypt. The yeast of the Egyptians had spread amongst God's people, their traditions, their beliefs, their unjust ways perhaps. But now, from now on, God says, Israel is to be different from the other nations. They're to be set apart in their identity in their laws, in their social justice, in their religious practices. They're to be pure. That's the picture here. Don't let the yeast of these evil Egyptian practices come with you as I liberate you from Egypt. Be like the unleavened bread. Be pure. You are no longer under the authority of Pharaoh. Be different. Be my people, says Yahweh. Now, all the instructions so far in this chapter have been from God to Moses and Aaron. And from verse 21, God now explains the essentials to the people. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, that's a sort of shrub, dip it in the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So Moses tells the people that they need to explain the meaning of this Passover festival to their children. They need to pass it on to the next generation and who will then need to pass it on to their children. It's not just a ritual. This ceremony is rooted in a real historical event and the children need to understand its importance. My, my grandfather, he's dead now, he served in the Second World War as a Morse coder and this was, believe it or not, this was before WhatsApp, this was before even text messages or emails and you had to like take words and you sort of tap them out like that sort of thing and it, and it went down a, a line and then... Other, other people at the other end could understand your message. And sometimes, in his, even in his 70s, he'd be uh, sort of not really realising, he'd be sort of tapping out messages and with his finger on the, ta- on the table. And it, he told me about this, this role that he had in the war, in the Second World War, um, in North Africa. And that really made it come to life for me. It mattered to him to pass it on, to keep alive of the memory of what had happened The war had shaped his life. It had shaped the life of the generations afterwards. It shaped our society. It was really important for me to know something 
about what had happened. For us as Christians, it's important that we learn the meaning of Jesus' sacrifice as our Passover lamb. It's important that we teach one another, teach the children of the church what that means. You might remember this artwork back in 2014 at the Tower of London. Thousands of poppies spread out like a sea of blood to remember lives lost in conflicts. And each year on the 11th of November, we remember the sacrifice, don't we, of many who lost their lives in war. When we as Christians remember Jesus, we look back to that terrible Friday in Passover week when Jesus' blood was poured out unjustly upon a perfect man. We remember his sacrifice with gratitude as it has transformed our lives and our futures. So let us never never tire of remembering what he's done for us. Finally, let's look at verses 29 and 30. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. So as I mentioned earlier, there's just two verses given over here to the actual event. Pharaoh's heart is hardened and so, of course, God follows through on his threat. It's a terrible day for every Egyptian household. But wonderfully, every Hebrew household is saved because they did exactly what the Lord commanded. The band want to come back up. Now, I told you earlier when I was talking about my... um, trip out with Reuben and Cameron we went orienteering a couple of weeks ago and and this is what happened well about five minutes into the course we'd already found our first checkpoint and we were feeling pretty confident the ground was very muddy and slippery from all the previous rainfall but uh, we were doing well but then the sky darkened and the clouds opened and the water came down run for it I said to Reuben and Cameron there's trees over there we were kind of heading toward towards the woods but because it's winter when we got to the woods all the trees had lost their leaves there was no shelter we were drenched there was nowhere to hide now this is where my illustration breaks down because the boys absolutely loved it (laughs) Um, they had much more fun getting wet than navigating the course but I learned something from that day I thought we'd get away with it I thought maybe we'd find some shelter Everyone on the course that day got drenched. I learned to be not so complacent. Now the weather forecast might not always be right, but if God says that his judgment is coming, it surely will come. So in conclusion, here's my three points from today. Let's recognise God's judgment. It's coming whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not. But let us receive God's rescue Under the shelter of Jesus, our Passover lamb, wonderfully, we do have somewhere to hide. And thirdly, remember God's deliverance. We don't take this great rescue for granted. Um, And as we come into communion now, we're going to remember it in the way Jesus taught us to. So um, we've just, um, Dan, feel free to to start playing. That would be great. We just had 
Our seven days of prayer and fasting are equivalent of the Passover festival. We're ending it now with communion. This is a time for Christians to remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The bread that we eat represents his broken body and the juice represents his blood shed for us. If you're not a Christian today, you're very welcome to stay in your seat as other people move around. Don't worry about it. Now, when, Jesus, when John the Baptist saw Jesus at the start of Jesus' ministry, he made, do you remember, this prophetic declaration. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We're going to use a few verses from Luke chapter 22 to guide us through this time together. Uh, feel free to follow along from verse 8. Um, there's various stations around. Uh, there's two at the front. There's one at the back. I think there's gluten-free bread at this station over here. Um, when you, um, in a minute, when we get to it, then feel free to come up and take a piece of bread and um, the juice and uh, take them back to your uh, place. The last, um, the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples was on the day of unleavened bread the day the 14th day of that first month when the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed this was to be the last day of Jesus life so let's let's read a few verses from Luke 22 starting at verse 8 joining at that time then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed Jesus sent Peter and John saying go and make preparations for the Passover Picking up at verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So do come up to one of these stations and take a piece of bread, take a cup of juice. The bread represents Jesus' body and the perfect lamb without defect killed instead of us the wine the grape juice represents Jesus' blood let's remember his sacrifice for us which covers over the, the, the sin like the Israelites spread the blood on their doorways because we if we trust in Jesus we can have life and freedom in his name so as Dan plays in the band do come up now and get the bread and wine and feel free to eat it uh, when you want to. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.